So, Will. Yes? Blood. Let's discuss. So, my understanding is that it, it's very delicious. My understanding is that when you're sick, it means you have too much of it. Right, you gotta get rid of it. You gotta get rid of that bad blood. And then you've got Edward Cullen staring at you with those I wanna have sex with you and then slurp out your blood eyes. The biting suck. What if for 2,000 years, doctors were all just vampires, and that's why bloodletting lasted so long? I feel like someone must have done something with that idea, but I can't think of anything. Me neither. It seems fairly obvious. It does, but also then you could get into the fact that uh, in the Middle Ages, people used to pay executioners to go up to convicted criminals when they were hanged with bulls to drink their blood. I did not know that. Yes, because people were like, you know what's good for you? Blood. You know how to get more of it? I could drink it. Wild. Medical cannibalism existed for most of European history. Love it. In Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, at least in the book, I have not seen the movie, vampires are like deeply entrenched in the slave power as people who have an interest in keeping slavery in place because it is literally a captive blood population. That does not surprise me. Because I can't think of an easier way to work vampires into the Civil War narrative. Here's the deal. The book kind of rules. I didn't read that one, but I did read Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. That is the only version of Pride and Prejudice I have read. I feel like you get a good portion of the book out of it. Yeah, and I've seen the Joe Wright movie, which is excellent. So between the two of them, I feel pretty good. Yeah, you probably have a good grasp on it. Yeah. Anyway, you were talking about blood. Yes. Good for you inside your body. Bad for you outside your body. Unless it's someone else's. Unless it's someone else's. Like, if your blood is outside my body, that is where I want it. That is true. You want your body inside your body. Correct. I do want my body inside my body. (laughs) You want your blood inside your body. And you know where blood stays inside bodies? Kung Fu movies. This is true. What a segue that I just made. Because you're just smacking people with your hands and doing the, like, paralysis, like, poking them all over their body, and they're like, whoops, I'm frozen! Yeah, I really enjoy a good break from bloody movies, because I get over it, and I love that even in Kung Fu movies like this one, there is a... So there's the one scene where we see blood. Yeah, there's a scene where a guy gets a knife. Not even like a knife. It's like the crescent moon weapon thing. Yeah, it goes straight into his skull. And there's it's embedded there. It looks awesome. It's embedded. There's a single drop of blood. And I really enjoy that about this movie because you don't need it for fun action. No. Jedi fights, which of course are heavily influenced by Eastern cinema, have this influence too. Where the in-universe exploration is that lightsabers are so intense that they instantly cauterize wounds. I've heard that, and I also like that. But it's definitely like they didn't put blood and then retroactively had an explanation. That's most of Star Wars summed up. Correct! And that's what I love about it. So, the movie we're talking about today, you know because of the title of the episode. Preserve the mystery! (laughs) But I think we could start the show. What if this was a person who, like, their iPhone automatically downloads the latest episode of the podcast they subscribe to, and their phone is hooked up to the Bluetooth of their car, so when they start their car, just whatever podcast is next starts playing. There are people for whom that is the case. This could be a surprise, and they could be so excited to discover it, and you just blow it out of the water like it's boring. I don't think I've even said the title yet, but I I will say... 
the screens and cards also show what's playing on Bluetooth. It, sure, but you might not be looking at it. Very you you could be looking at the road, Mark. Who does that? Uh, I think it's very difficult to avoid seeing the name of a podcast episode. I just want to live in a world with wonder. Wonder Park? Oh, man. <laughs> Every time I see the trailer for Wonder Park, for like the first third of it, I'm like, maybe this will be whimsical and fun. And then the John Oliver porcupine starts speaking. And I love John Oliver, but I hate that porcupine. I want to kill it. That movie looks trash. I want that porcupine's blood to be outside of its body. Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. This, of course, is an investigative podcast. We're like that detective in the movie. We're going to travel throughout the West to find out the answer to our question. His question is... Where's the Jade Fox? Our question is, does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? He's uh, from the West, but he's traveling to the East. I assume he searched through the West as well. I guess. But we don't see that part. It's implied. Along the way, he meets that dad and daughter whose wife slash mother was killed, and then the dad gets killed, and then he definitely has sex with the daughter. No, the dad was the detective who died. It was the servant of Master Yu. Or no, the servant of Sir Te that is the guy that had sex with the daughter. Oh. Whatever. Yep. The and detective was a bad actually... <laughs> fight-stir. <laughs> he was. And are these people actually dateable? Are they even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is the main plot, or a one-scene flirtation, or just a series of intense looks. We talked about looks a lot in Princess Diaries. These ones are so much better, which I don't mean as a knock on Princess Diaries. Yeah, there is a lot of looking in this movie. It's the best. This movie is like if Jane Austen wrote a Star Wars movie. It's all like master and pupil, like crazy supernatural fighting stuff. But then the rest of it is just like the drama of propriety and having to keep everything bottled up. I mean, it's more like if Jane Austen wrote a kung fu movie because Star Wars is what if a white guy wrote a kung fu movie set in space. Sure, yeah. (laughs) So it's very Austin-esque in this movie. Which makes sense because the movie we're talking about is Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and it's directed by Ang Lee, the Taiwanese filmmaker, who, five years before this, directed Sense and Sensibility. And his work before that was things like The Wedding Banquet, which is also very much about manners and propriety. Even Eat, Drink, Bad Woman has a lot of propriety in it, and the relationship between daughters and a father, and what's expected and normal versus, you know modern developments in Taiwan. Right, so this is a big deviation from what he'd been doing before, and it rules! It's so good. If you have not watched Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, turn off this podcast right now, fire up Netflix, where you can find it, and watch it. Don't accidentally watch the sequel, watch the original movie. Have you seen the sequel? I have not, because I have been told it is not worth it. In 2016, a group of different financers put together the money to make... Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, colon, Sword of Destiny, which is a sequel. Michelle Yeoh is in it, but none of the rest of the original cast. Ang Lee did not direct it. It, by all accounts, is kind of boring. If you don't have Ang Lee, this movie would not work. I mean, I think it's because he has such a grasp on the drama of people just sitting and looking at each other. Yeah, that's what elevates this movie, is that it's... Got cool fight scenes, the wire work is great, and that's what you hear about a lot. Sure, and it also helped that the action is choreographed by Yuan Ping, who had, the year before, choreographed The Matrix, which redefined the modern action movie. That is one accomplished dude. Oh yeah. And actually, he directed the sequel. Oh. 
Maybe he should stick to choreography. Because he's so good at it. It's so cool. He's so good at it. The fight scenes in this movie are great, but the emotional pathos you get and the strength of just the looks that Michelle Yeoh and Chow Yun-Fat give each other is incredible. So this movie is based on a book. It's actually based on the fourth in a series of books. Always an interesting choice. I love it because what it means is that people keep talking about stuff in the past. We feel the weight of the entire lives that Shulian, played by Michelle Yeoh, and Li Mubai, played by Chow Yun-Fat, have lived. We get the sense of all their adventures, that they're these famous people. And we didn't have to waste our time like seeing them as a young kid starting out. We just get to see them at the end of this really tiring but important life. And so I really enjoy that. It's the kind of thing that reminds me of the original Star Wars, where you get the sense of this wider universe and you have just the information that you need. It's very in media res opening, but you never flash back to the beginning. Right, the only flashback is with Jen Yu and Lo. A important part of the story, but one I cared about so much less than uh, Shulian and Mingbu Bai. Yeah, because they're actually making out, and there's so much more exciting drama in Shulian and Li Bai just looking at each other. They are open about it enough where it's interesting, and I really like that They both know that they like each other, but are holding back. I like that everyone knows. When Shulian shows up at Sertay's place, he's like, when Limu Bai shows up, you guys need to start making out. It is ridiculous that you guys are not together. It's so funny the way Sertay is basically like, why aren't you boning? He's like, everyone knows your dead fiance would be fine with it. Get along with it. Ugh, I love Sertay. He's great. What's wild, even with the success of these movies, the books have never been translated into English. Really? The first two were translated into French, but that's it. The guy who wrote them, Wang Dulu, in the 1930s, he was writing a lot of detective stories and mystery stories, and then he wrote these wuxia novels. It's basically the Chinese version of the pulp novels being published in the United States at the same time, but then when the communist revolution comes, he becomes a teacher, and then in the cultural revolution, he got shipped out to some rural area, and he died there in 1977. I was thinking, oh, I should try giving those a read. And then I was like, my character recognition is not good enough for that. It's real bad these days. That was my problem in high school when I had to read Russian novels. I was always like, wait, how many nicknames does everyone have? Because you have your name, you have the nickname of your name, there's the child version of your name, there's the last name, there's the family last name, which is different. And so everyone has like six or seven different names, and you have to like, Keep notes on a paper of who everyone is. And you never call someone just their first name. It's always their first name and their patronym, which is very... Unless you're using the child version of their name or the nickname version of their name. Correct. And the nicknames include Tatiana, which is longer than Natalia, in a way. I uh, do not understand Russian naming convention. That's one of the reasons I stopped reading Crime and Punishment, is I was a third in and had no idea who was who. Seems valid. So it's just like... The cruel trick... I didn't read that. I read Dr. Zhivago for class. The cruel trick of Dr. Zhivago is that right about when you feel like you've got a hang of everyone's name, if you're like, you know, 16 and you've never read a Russian novel before, then there's a chapter with none of the characters that appear anywhere else in the book. So totally different people, only in this one chapter. And you're like, wait, I really thought I knew what was going on, and now I do not. It just feels like they're trolling us. I think that's probably the case. 
Anyway, Crouching Tiger. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. So the movie comes out in 2000, and it's kind of unbelievable that this movie works. I don't know what it is. This movie is perfect. It's so good. The action is great. The repressed romance is great. The not repressed romance, also good. Yeah, the actors are all fantastic. Well, they also are like the top tier of their respective places. It's worth noting, this is very much a like pan-Asian cast. As our leads, we've got Chow Yun-Fat as Limu Bai, who was huge in the Hong Kong action scene at the time. Although mostly contemporary action, this was a first for him going and doing period work. Which is interesting because period work is a very important part of Chinese cinema. Right. Although he is specifically mostly doing his work in Hong Kong. I guess it's more on TV that you see a lot of the period stuff. So the wrinkle I'm going to throw into all this as we talk about these people. So Chow Yun-Fat is from Hong Kong. He's a native Cantonese speaker. He speaks Mandarin with a pretty serious accent. And then there's Michelle Yeoh. Then there's Michelle Yeoh. Chinese. Michelle Yeoh is from Malaysia. She grew up speaking Malay and English. She does not speak Mandarin at all. She learned her lines phonetically and goes through the entire movie speaking those words that way. That's crazy with how many tones there are. Then Cheng Chen plays Lo. He's from Taiwan. And so Zhang Ziyi, who plays Zhen Yu, is the only one of the main four who is actually speaking classical Mandarin. Yeah, she's the only one that actually speaks the Beijing dialect, which is kind of like the RP of China. Right. So it's honestly unbelievable that this movie works. It potentially works better for me as someone who does not understand Chinese than it probably does for a Chinese audience. Yeah, that's the biggest criticism I was reading about this movie is people were very much annoyed that the accents were also different. And Ang Lee was just like, hey, she's not from Beijing in the movie and he isn't either. That's why their accents are different. That's not why, Ang. <laughs> yeah, we all know Ang Lee. But this is an international endeavor, not just in the casting element, but it's also financed in this bizarre way, like cobbling together money from Columbia Pictures, Sony Pictures Classics, companies in Taiwan, Hong Kong, mainland China, really just working in this hodgepodge to pull together the financing. But then the movie is a huge hit. This is a Chinese language movie that made over $100 million in the United States in 2000. Its budget was $17 million. And what's really cool about that is they're using all practical effects, pretty much. The only CG work is removing the wires that the actors are on when they're doing their fight scenes. I love watching an old practical effects movie. Yeah, there's something cool about it. Like I said to you when we got to the flashback with Lo when Dark Cloud and his bandits showed up and they're like riding down through the desert on their horses. I was like, this is like watching a movie from the 60s just because, you know, they're like on location with a bunch of horses. I always love that because it feels like there's a little bit more drama because it feels like something could go wrong, which you know isn't going to happen when everything's created on a computer. Yeah, you watch this and you're like, you know, someone may actually have died doing this. They probably didn't because I feel like we would have heard about it. Yeah, although they did have some issues. The location work in this movie is gorgeous. But the first part of it they shot, they did an eight-month shoot for this entire movie, just going around locations. And they started off shooting the Gobi Desert stuff. They go to the Gobi. What do you know about the Gobi, Mark? It's a desert. Yep. It's one of the driest deserts on the planet. Yeah, it's probably very dry. They go there. It rains for a week. Oh, my God. How? So there's an interview that Ang Lee did with Time Magazine around the time the movie was blowing up. 
And he was like, yeah, we got there. We were like, great, starting the production, light incense for good luck. And it rained for a week. And one of the locals came up at one point and was like, ah, you guys are having good luck. And I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, well, we, we live in a desert. Whenever we uh, want it to rain, we light incense. And he's like, no, stupid Kobe desert traditions must be real. They're killing us. I can't believe it rained for a week. I guess when it goes, it goes big. By all accounts, this was a very tiring production, not least because of the dialect issues. Chow Yun-Fat said that he had never had to do more takes for accent work than he did in this movie. So when they were not acting do you think they were just all communicating in english then because i feel like that's the only unifying language because i know at least chow yun fat michelle yo and ang lee all speak english yeah that may be it also i just found on the mental floss page 15 high-flying facts about crouching tiger hidden dragon lee did pitch this movie to michelle yo as sense and sensibility with martial arts yep i did know that i love that idea the title itself comes Obviously from the book that it's based on, but originally from a poem by a Chinese poet named Yu Xin, which refers to a situation with sort of unknown powers, unknown masters. The line from the poem goes, Behind the rock in the dark probably hides a tiger, and the coiling giant root resembles a crouching dragon. The idea being like, you feel like you've gotten the lay of the situation, but you can't see who's actually running the show. Yeah, and it's very much like all about the, ooh, you never know where the power's gonna come from. And in this movie, it's almost invariably the women. Yeah, it's People who would be the ones that are sort of below the surface in a traditional 18th century society. Right, it's very much about unexpected power from mostly women, but even especially young women. Right, although... the character of Jen. Yeah, we do see some power from Jade Fox, but you're right, because Jen Yu hides her abilities from Jade Fox. Hides the fact that she has deciphered way more from the Wudan manual than Jade Fox could. There's so many levels to her, too, because she presents to the world as, like, the least threatening figure, a young daughter of a governor who's being forced into marriage. Kind of haughty and removed. Yeah, and then one level down to Jade Fox, she's still hiding how good she is at martial arts from her master. So her character is just very much a surprise, I'm very good at martial arts character. It's very cool. It is. Also, she is 21 at the time of filming. She's crazy young. She is so young and looks even younger. Yeah. I was just like, wow, this is creepy watching a 16-year-old have a love story. And I was like, nope, she's over 20. So, speaking of love stories... Before we do that, I just want to talk a little bit about reception for this movie. Like we said, it makes $120 million in the United States, which is unbelievable. It has a pretty impressive run through award season. It wins four Oscars out of 10 nominations. It wins for Best Foreign Language Film, Best Art Direction, Best Score, and Best Cinematography. And it was nominated for six more, including Best Picture, Best Director, Adapted Screenplay, a couple others in there. And it was the last, I believe it was the last foreign language film to be nominated prior to Roma. For Best Picture? I'm not sure. Is Amor in English? Amor. According to the Box Office Mojo website, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is still the highest grossing foreign language film in the U.S. I believe it. 1980. Only including overseas features, which I think is why Passion of the Christ is not number one. Oh, true. Because that movie is in Aramaic. Yeah. Life is Beautiful is number two. Oh, yeah. If you want to have a good time, Richard Lawson at Vanity Fair writes a recap every Oscars of the Oscars from 20 years earlier. He watches a VHS tape, and there's some really excellent 
Benigni gifs from Life is Beautiful, hmm. crushing it at the 99 Oscars. Wow, looking at this list, I'm realizing how sad it is, how little money foreign films make. I mean, part of their big issue is distribution. It becomes a chicken-egg thing. They don't get distributed because they don't make a lot of money, but they can't get a lot of money because they're not getting distributed. Right. This ultimately built to a wide release. It was on 2,000 screens. Yeah. The gap between number one and number two is, um, like, $75 million. Really? So Life is Beautiful only made... 57. Actually, that's really good. It is really good, but Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon made 128. This movie's wild. It's so good, though. Should we talk about it? Yes. Let's talk, well, about the love. Because here at We Love the Love, we love the love. Every week, we break down the romantic plot lines of a film into five points. This week, we are sticking to five points. I feel like it's been a little while since we haven't had a point zero. I think it's good for us to enforce some standards Eh, what are standards they're just guidelines really okay gibbs (laughs) you know his first name is joshimi (laughs) joshimi i said that in the episode and we just blew past it (laughs) you did joshimi we blew past a lot of stuff because it was midnight when we (laughs) recorded that episode (laughs) it was much too late uh so point number one is the opening of the movie. Oh, this movie starts great because the movie starts with an attendant rushing into Shulian, played by Michelle Yeoh, rushing into her room to be like, yo, Lee Mubai is here. I'd give her these eyes like, yeah, you know who this is. It's Lee Mubai. You guys are gonna get it on. And Shulian is just like, okay. Literally everyone is basically saying, you guys are gonna f- now right you imagine like a royal family where everyone's like all right we're pumped that you're gonna like start pumping out airs kind of situation where everyone is just like limu bai and shulian get it together it's insane how much everyone wants them to be together and have babies i love it so much the thing is it's not like a procreative thing no it's not but it's still so good she's like you guys need to stop repressing everything and so yeah. limu bai shows up and he's like yeah i was uh I was at Wudan Mountain because he's this like warrior monk, kind of like a traveling knight errant situation. He's like, I was meditating at Wudan Mountain and I was being pulled in beyond, but something pulled me back that I could not let go of. And he just looks at her with these intense eyes. But then he starts talking about this weird dark place that he meditated into. And at first, Julien is like, oh, you hit enlightenment? And then he's like, no. So much worse. Yeah, he found, like, the darkness. He sensed the presence of Jade Fox and her expanding evil. Jade Fox, who murdered his master. But he decides to retire. And so he hires Shu Lian, who is a security consultant, essentially. Yeah, Lububai is, like, the best of the warriors of Wudan Mountain. And Shu Lian is, like, the best of the women warriors in China at the time. But women aren't allowed to train at Wudan Mountain. Right, so she's not trained in... Wudan specific martial arts, but she's still, I guess, number three in this movie. Yeah, she's still no, number two in terms of fighting ability because she's not as good as Li Mubai, but she's better than everyone else. Yeah, so she's really good. Like, there are still like songs and legends of her going around, but a lot of them do seem like they probably kind of involve Li Mubai, who's right. more famous than she is. He and his sword, the Green Destiny, which is a dope looking sword. It's a great sword. It's a long sword. It's got, like, stuff carved into the blade. 
It's over 400 years old, but it still shines so bright. It's got this green hilt, and it's supposed to have rubies in it, but they're missing because it's so old. And it can cut through anything. Including other swords! But kind of only when it wants to. Yeah. Because there's definitely moments where I was like, shouldn't that have been cut in half at this point? Depends on how much force he's using. I guess. Because... The only thing that does stand up to it for a decent amount of time is just this giant rod of metal that is somehow a weapon. Yep, I dig it. (laughs) I don't remember what it was at all, but at one point Michelle Yeoh just has a giant thick metal pole, and it's the only thing that- Well, she's trying to get a different thick pole by the end of the movie. Oh, I'm so sad. Yeah, I know. We will be spoiling the end of this movie, so if you haven't paused it to go watch it on Netflix, do it now. At the end of the movie, definitely be thinking about- that not the end of the movie yeah it'll distract yourself so lee mubai asks shulian to take green destiny he's hanging up his sword and give it to is it really established what their relationship to this man is no but it seems like they have a long established relationship he's an old guy he seems to know them well he's comfortable telling her to get her life together and her romantic relationships yeah so he seems kind of almost like a surrogate father figure to shulian in particular and limu bai says he can't take the sword there himself because he has to go visit his master's grave to meditate about jade fox because in a way by giving away a sword he's retiring from his duty to get vengeance for his master and since i'm not going to be doing that anymore i'm going to have lots of free time wink 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 if only but that's like kind of what he's implying and she's like all right well you know you could come with me and he's like no i have to go to my master's grave and she's like well you should go to certes after and they stare at each other yeah basically says come meet me in beijing and maybe we can get it on there she's like trying to schedule their makeout session yeah their new lovers almost they're so close to it but they're already having to schedule their sex it's great and then Li Bai leaves and shulian goes to take the sword yes it's hard to describe the impact of this scene because 90 percent of it is how they look at each other so we kind of talk like oh yeah this is what they say but you really have to understand how much staring is important in this movie this movie is all visual because the staring and it's the fight scenes which are also difficult to explain as they're like flying across the rooftops and up in the trees hanging on the bamboo it's all in how it looks right and it's also it's not not really a super plotty movie no weirdly no the plot is fairly simple a little complex in that the time jumps happen everything involving jade fox feels a little convoluted yeah but for the most part it's just like eh, you know you're not here for this you're here to watch julian and limu Bai stare at each other the first time i saw this movie it was in a world religions class in high school i had one of those teachers who was like i'm gonna show you movies for every topic and to his credit he always managed to tie it in really well so you're always like i understand exactly why we watched that and it did in fact deepen my understanding of it but we watched this i want to say when we were talking about Taoism, and we were talking about like being one with nature and like harmony and stuff like that and like limu bai is able to like move with all of it but his argument was jade fox is more limited because she's using the power for like self-benefit and stuff like that. We definitely also watched Pride and Prejudice in that as a tie-in to Confucianism and propriety and and your duty to different people in society. That's interesting. This sounds like a really cool class. It was! Yeah, Jade Fox is a cool character because they definitely try and make her sympathetic villain, which is 
always more interesting when there's an element of that to the villain. Yeah, so Jade Fox had gone to Wudan Mountain because she wanted to train, and then she started having sex with Limu Bai's master, who was, like, perfectly happy to bang her, but wasn't willing to let her into Wudan Mountain because they don't accept women. And she was like, this is stupid, I'm gonna poison you. Yeah, I think it kind of sounds like he was saying, oh, you can come train with me if you do this, and then reneged on his promise. Yeah, we only ever got her perspective on it, but it definitely is presented as he was doing some sleazy stuff. Right. So she steals a manual that teaches you how to do Udon... um, Techniques for fighting. Techniques, which is the flying. And also just, like, the crazy fast reactions to stuff in combat, like pulling poison darts out of the air. Right. So then she steals that, kills the master, and runs away and disappears. But she's found later. But before that, we get to point number two. So we've already talked about this a lot. Julian has gotten to Surte's place and he's like, thanks for bringing me the sword. It's weird that Limu Bai doesn't want it anymore, but I guess I'll hang on to it. By the way, why aren't you two making out yet? It's definitely a scene where he's not wanting to accept the sword and knows that he's only holding on to it for Limu Bai. Right. He knows Limu Bai is going to come back for it. Everyone is just like, this guy's, who's he kidding? Jade Fox is still alive. He's not retiring. But we do get the sense that for Limu Bai, one of the barriers, one of the reasons he feels that he can't be with Shulian is because he has this duty to avenge his master. And so it seems like other people don't see that as a barrier, but by putting the sword aside, that is kind of him opening up to this. He's getting ready for love. We also get our first inklings in this of one of the barriers in their past, which is that Shulian had been engaged to another Wudan fighter, and he and Limu Bai were really close. They were... BFFs. BFFs. They were like brothers. And then he was murdered! And so Shulian and Limu Bai kind of got through their grief over that together, and as they would say in Princess Diaries, they became friends and friendlier, but neither of them wanted to go the next step because they felt like they would be disrespecting... The memory. ...of Meng. Right. And then everyone else is like, you guys are dumb. But then the sword is stolen by a masked figure. Ooh, is it Jade Fox? No, it is not. It is. Turns out to be Jade Fox's apprentice, Jen... Jen Yu. Jen Yu. I get confused because those are not their names in Chinese. Correct. It is worth noting, Ang Lee, the director, wrote the subtitles for this. Right. They're very good subtitles, but there are differences I picked up on. And a lot of them are just the different names that characters are given. Which I appreciate. Yeah. Because, I mean, Yu is her family name, so if anything, it would be Yu Jen, not Jen Yu. Which is interesting because the other characters' names are not styled that way. Right. It's only her that has the Western-style name. I don't know why that is. Who knows? She's also the only one that speaks Mandarin. (laughs) accurate (laughs) so i don't know why her name is the one that is different but she is a fancy rich lady she's the daughter of the governor right whose governess is the jade fox what so So jade fox had left wudan after murdering limu bai's master and she basically has been hiding out for like 10 years as the governess for jen yu and also secretly teaching her wudan techniques using the manual she stole but surprise Jade Fox is illiterate. Oh no! <laughs> she should get together with Ryan from High School Musical. Oh, best friends! Yay! But as a rich governor's daughter, Yu Jen is 
not illiterate. So she reads the manual, but doesn't tell Jade Fox all the words she learns. Right. Jade Fox has just been using diagrams that are in there showing you how to do techniques. But Jen Yu is getting all the stuff that's in the text as well. Right. So she has secretly surpassed her master in skill, which you don't... See, this is all the stuff that's like very Star Wars to me. Yeah. So you don't see any of that until there's a fight between Jade Fox and the police. And oh, this is that courtyard fight where they're like right. going all over the place. So, Li Bai shows up for this fight and is like, right. let's go. And then he focuses specifically on Yu Jen because she's the one that stole the sword. And he again, like I said, for me, the reference point is Star Wars. But it's like such a thing where he's like, you clearly are very skilled but you're kind of adrift. Like, let me train you. Let me teach you to use this well and for good. She rejects him. He kicks her ass with a stick. Yeah, she has green destiny. She stole the best sword. And he's like, no, I'm Limu Bai. Get out of here. So he gets the sword back and she flees. But in the process has revealed to her governess that she is better than Li Mubai. Quick or note no, on Jade Fox. She's played by Cheng Pei who is a Chinese actress who herself was a big wuxia star in the 1960s when this genre was really big in China. And so like she was in some of the most famous wuxia movies. There's actually one where she is in a restaurant and just lays waste to the whole place. So there are some actual tributes to her movies in this. And it's cool that in what is kind of a tribute to a genre that had fallen out of favor, they're bringing back some of those old stars. She's so good in this. Yeah, everyone's great in this. It's so good. It's such a good movie. But the next point we're gonna discuss is removed from the plot, kind of. It almost could be entirely excised from this movie without changing the plot at all. But thematically, it would be worse. Yes, I agree. But point number three is kind of an interlude, in a way, from the rest of the points. Because we're going to be talking about Eugen and Dark Cloud. So, after this fight scene, Jen Yu is back in her room... And the window opens, and a dude wearing a, like, kind of furry cowboy hat climbs in through the window. And she's like, oh my gosh, you came back. Flashback! We flashback to sometime before. It doesn't tell us exactly how long. Ambiguous. So, Jen Yu and her caravan are traveling across the desert. When they get attacked by Dark Cloud and his bandits, who are these, like, horsemen robber kind of dudes... And Jen Yu's mom is like, lower the shades. Don't let them see that you're a woman. I mean, probably good advice. Yes, but she fully refuses to do that. Because Jen Yu is very willful. She's already trading with Jay Fox at this point. Clearly, because she then kicks Dark Cloud's butt. Right. Dark Cloud steals a comb from her through the window that her mom had just given to her. And she promised to keep safe. And Jen Yu is like, well, forget this. And so she jumps out of the carriage. Knocks a guy off his horse. Takes the horse, chases Dark Cloud to his camp, punches him in the face. And then they fight for a while. They both get so tired that they, like, fall asleep in middle of the fight. They ride off. So they're chasing each other, like, shooting arrows at each other. And it's kind of wild that Gen Yu, who is probably playing, like, a teenage character. Yes. Is just like, forget this crap. I'm gonna go chase this famous robber across the desert alone. 
he took her comb. I mean, the biggest problem with this is, yes, she could fight him, but she has no idea how to survive in the desert. Or where she is. Which becomes a big problem for her. At one point, as they're going, he's, like, kind of having a good time. And he's like, oh, here, we got a stream coming up here. Get you some water. And he goes, and nope, it's a dry riverbed now. Yep. And so they fight, do some punching. They both end up on the ground. And then cut to Eugen waking up in his cave. I love that he has this big, like... (laughs) bachelor cave i like the touch of having european furniture in it to show that he's robbing from the the silk road the silk road like overland trade routes well he's a very famous robber he is he is the most famous robber he is dark cloud because we'll talk about this later at one point he's trying to become legit he's too famous everyone recognizes him i find that being too famous is an issue for me too yeah. Ever since this podcast started. Yeah, this podcast really blew up. And I can't go anywhere. Everyone walks into my work and is just like, oh my god, you're so famous. And I'm like, can I take your order? And they're like, that's just what he sounds like on the podcast. It is. What a wild world we live in. So, Jenny wakes up in the cave and Lo is like, hey, you need to eat food. Here's some food. I'm taking care of you. It's a roasted wild chicken and girl go ham yeah it's just like a chicken on a stick yeah and she dives right in then she decides to leave and she hops on a horse and tries to run away again but guess what she does not know where she is and does not know how to find water in the desert and passes out again luckily lo finds her brings her back lets her take a bath and then the next time she wakes up he's like you need to stop doing this yeah take a bath you'll feel better i will go outside the cave and sing loudly so that you'll know i'm not like creeping in to sneak up on you and look at you naked because you'll be able to hear my singing outside the cave which is a great move yeah it's a good plan and i was like that's so effective why has no one else done that in a movie he's being a good dude yeah again famous robert probably kills lots of people also kidnapped her in a way kind of she kind of kidnapped she chased him yeah and then he stopped her from dying in the desert it is a very weird situation morally i think it's kind of important that she chased him because it makes it much less rapey than it could be right because then he kind of forcibly kisses her but then she gets into it it's a weird hard to read area yeah it was not comfortable to watch no, there is a significant amount of her on top, I think, to try to clear it up. Yeah, but... Anyway, they fall unhappy. deeply in, like, teenage love. Yes. Like, passionate teenage in the 18th century, so that means you're legally an adult love. Right. And they're just, like, hanging out in the cave, like, having real intense emotions. It's, like, the opposite of Shuliet and Limu Bai. Where Shuliet and Limu Bai are like, we're just gonna sit here, and every once in a while we'll look at each other up. Oh, that was too much. Nope, yeah. nope, 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 nope. We basically just had sex in front of everybody. That's not okay. Meanwhile, in the cave, Lo and Jen Yu are like, all right, this is a no-clothes cave now. You have to walk around naked. Yeah, they're naked for the rest of their time together. And Lo is, like, telling her stories about, like, people who go up to the mountain. He's telling her, like, about how he's an orphan, and that's really intense. He's got a, a lot of deep, angsty feelings. And then they're in Mongolia-looking place. They're in a yurt because I think he's Mongolian. The whole flashback is filmed in the Gobi. Right. But then they're in a green grassy area and they're talking and eventually... He talks about the mountain and the legend of the person who went up to the top of the mountain and leapt off. And if you have a pure heart, your wish will come true. And instead of falling, he rose up to heaven. But then Lo is like, look. He says... 
You, you miss, miss your parents. parents. And if we had a kid, then they would miss us too. And I get that. So what I'm going to do is you're going to go back to your family and I'm going to become famous. And then your parents will respect me. And you're kind of like, bro, you are already famous. You're the most famous bandit. That is actually his problem because cut back to the present when he's climbed through the window wearing his furry cowboy hat. And he's like, yeah, I was too famous. I kept trying to go legit. And everyone's like, you are dark cloud. Right. But Jen, when leaving, leaves him her comb. The comb that brought them together. She's like, bring it back to me when you're legit. legit. And he's like, I got the comb, but I am not legit. Yeah. So she fully rejects him when he comes into her room. She's like, bro, I'm getting married. Bye. Bye. And he leaves the comb. And so then the next day, she's in her wedding procession when he, he rides it and is like, forget up. this. He just says, leave him. Come back to the desert with me. Turns into a whole fight. Limu Bai actually helps him escape along with Shulian. And they send him to Udan Mountain. They're like, we'll get her to go to you at some point. But right now, you just need to go to a place where no one's going to arrest you for being, again, the most famous bandit in the country. Impressive for your age. But how do you think you just get to wander through towns like this? Yeah, he has um, underestimated self-worth, I guess. Well, also, it's just like he's like 18 and he thinks he can pull off anything. Yeah, he's very passionately in love. Whereas Limu Bai is like 60 and it's just like, look, nothing is permanent. (laughs) He says that a bunch. He does. He's like, nothing is permanent. The sword will fade away. My life will end. But some things can last. I'm going to look at Julia. Nope, that was too much. Can't do that anymore. Nope, look away. Look away. Eye contact. She essentially got pregnant. So to jump ahead to the end of their love story, after this movie, we will finish point number three after points four and five. Great. (laughs) We don't see Lowe again until the end of the movie. Right. So instead, at this point... Limu Bai and Shulian have helped him get away, but in the midst of all this, Jen Yu broke off on her own, and she has now decided that, you know what, I'm going to be a traveling adventure, like I've always wanted to be. She is strikingly similar to Elizabeth Swan, who is alive at the same time, I would like to throw out. These are contemporarily set movies. They are both vaguely 18th century. So she is a big nerd about these, like, traveling warriors. Right. Like, she's read all the stories. When she first meets Julianne, she's like, you're the coolest lady. Let's be like sisters. I want to share everything with you. She's, like, doing calligraphy for Julianne of her name. Even when Julianne recognizes that she is the thief, Julianne still tries to act like her older sister and take care of her, set her on the path of good. Yeah, so, fails. so Jen Yu is this huge nerd, and now she's escaped, and she has the Green Destiny. She stole Green Destiny back, and is wandering the countryside, very poorly disguised as a boy. She's basically just wearing a hat with a braid. But everyone decides, this is a boy. Yeah, and just go with it. To fight her, a lot. Well, at first what happens is, like, she shows up in this place, and someone's like, is that the Green Destiny? And she's like, you bet it is. And they're like, oh, so you know Limu Bai. And she goes... He is my defeated foe. Which is a lie. It's completely a lie. He beat her. But everyone's like, whoa! And her fame spreads immediately. Yes. Everyone's like, that dude beat Limu Bai. This is the best warrior. She's also real mean to servers. She's a huge jerk, which I think is part of the point. That's the corruption that Jade Fox brought out in her. There's a point where Limu Bai is like, she has a lot of talent, but she could become a poison dragon. And that's kind of what we're seeing. Cool line. 
it is cool but i think it also reflects a very sort of traditional chivalric idea of poison as a coward's weapon oh that's definitely a big part of this movie we see that with jade fox who is not capable of fighting like limu bai and shulian are and when he's talking about the nightmare scenario for gen yu it's that poison is involved this secret weapon that works in the darkness it's very dishonorable to use poison right so, so anyway she's like blazing her way through the countryside she goes to this restaurant some dude comes up and is like yo heard you really great want you to teach me a lesson and she's like absolutely not i've just ordered an entire banquet for myself <laughs> like she sat down at the restaurant waiter's like all right here's our menu and she's like give me eight million things and he goes i'm gonna have to go to a bigger restaurant down the street and she's like well get a move on it <laughs> yeah so the dude comes up and is like, yo, teach me a lesson. And she's like, absolutely not. She's drinking her tea with one hand. And with the other, she's just like waving and deflecting every attack he gives on her. Because that's what you do when someone refuses to teach you a lesson. You attack them. That's what my students do when I walk in and I'm like, no learning today. We're just going to sit around and stare at each other. They're like, no. And they fight me. That's what modern teaching is. Yeah. So she defeats him while sitting. And then another guy says wow i'm so impressed will you teach me she and she's like have, have you just seen what my lessons are <laughs> she asks his name and he says it's go something which is the last name of her husband so she decides you must die she's like that was the wrong name i hate it sound she's like you're done yeah so then she i also like that she makes fun of everyone's name where they're all like i'm iron crane whatever i'm such and such like they all have these like very convoluted names and she's like your names are really long and that's stupid and i want to punch you all for it so she does she punches all of them everyone in the in the entire restaurant there are like balconies collapsing from this fight this is where the famous scene of her jumping up in the air twirling around comes from as she leaps from the first floor to the second and while this is happening Li Mubai and Shulian are hunting her down and they stop for tea oh man and this brings us to point number they stop four. for sir tea it's pronounced ta <laughs> stand by the joke So they stop in this little house by a waterfall, and boy, do you get eye contact here. This is the sexiest scene we have ever covered on this podcast. Michelle Yeoh and Chow And we Yun talked Fat. about calling you by your name. True. Michelle Yeoh and Chow Yun Fat are acting as hard as humanly possible while doing so little. Yeah. So they're talking about their relationship. This is one of the only times they openly talk about, like, yo, kind of into you. I'm building up the courage to make eye contact again. And as they're having the conversation, Shulian's hand is sitting on the table and Limu Bai reaches out, he grabs it and he holds it to his face and it's the most intense thing ever. You can see sparks fly. It's like static electricity exploded out of his head. They talk about how they both dream of having a little place like this to live far away from everyone. Just do it! Except Go! Each other. Stop right now! Go get yourself a little cabin, and you can hold hands and make eye contact, and it'll be great. But Jade Fox is still out there. And Green Destiny is in the hands of the wicked... Jen Yu? Yeah. She's wicked. She's a yeah, poison she dragon. She's yet to be redeemed. So, they have their very intense conversation, hand on the cheek. It's, like, very, very intense. Very intense. But then they show up in the village. At this point, the restaurant is collapsing. Yeah. And they're like, what happened here? 
and they everyone in the restaurant is just like some guy kicked all our butts that dude who beat Limu Bai and Limu Bai's like what are you talking about no one's beat Limu no Bai. one beat me you see me right here and they're like well she he has the green destiny and he's like I know she has the green destiny I let her take it yeah. I beat her with my stick and then they go back to Shulian's compound, which is close by, because it seems that China is about 10 square miles in this movie. Correct. <laughs> so they go back to the compound. This is really cool. And they're like, well, we're just going to hang out here for a while, see what we see. Even then, the servants are just like, oh, oh, oh. Yeah, the servants are like, oh, I'm sorry, you guys are here together? Shulian uh. gets there first, and she's like, make up uh, Limu Bai's room for him. And the servants are like, I see you. You're going to pretend that you need both rooms it's hilarious how everyone in this movie is like you guys are gonna bone right this movie has some solid jokes in it so then they split up and hunt for jade fox and eugen together and jenny shows up at the compound because she's like yo julian you're my sister i need help and Julian's just like, we have offered you help so many times. You keep beating people up. And then you just... That nice man in the restaurant had, like, two sticks with giant balls on the end of them. And you pushed him off the balcony. There's a dude in that fight who just has an abacus that he hits her with. <laughs> I love that part. I have no idea what Eugen's motivations are in this scene. I think she doesn't totally know. She knows that she doesn't want to marry Go, and she knows that she wants to figure out where Lo is and have an adventurous life, but she doesn't know how to do that. But she has this relationship with Shu Lian that she feels like she can fall back on. She's kind of confused. She's been told a lot by Jade Fox early in her life, but she's not sure she really trusts Jade Fox anymore. So what do you do? So she She's a teenager. She is. And again, Julian is just like, here's what you should do. You should stop murdering people. And then give back Green Destiny and we'll figure it out. And I think by this point, Li Mu Bai has been like, you know, maybe we could uh, take her to Wudan and have her trained there and right. learn how to do things properly. And Julian is like, what? They do not let women into Wudan. And he's like, oh, we could make an exception. And you just feel Julian being like, well, you could have done that before. I have a feeling the exception would not be made. Yeah, probably not. But you just feel Shulian being like, screw you, man! Essentially. But then... This is why we're not together! Because I keep implying you should get me into Wudan and you refuse to pick up on it! But he's not in the room at this point, also. No, he's clear. somewhere else. So Shulian is just like, here's what you should do. Go to Wudan. You'll be with Lo. You'll have a master. You will learn martial arts. And for some reason, Yu is just like, no, I'm going to kill you instead. Well, she doesn't want to be a part of their system. It's very angsty teenager with an That's really what it is. Sword. She's like, no way am I going to go along with what you want and, like, fall into that i love you as a sister but how dare you tell me what i should do after i ask you for it at which point Julian is like we are not sisters we're yeah. done you're terrible i'm Time. gonna show you how fighting is done yeah so then michelle yo proceeds to kick her butt but using like eight different weapons the green destiny keeps slicing through them and she's like eh, no worries i can just pick up something else in this war training room right so michelle yo Julian is clearly the better fighter but because of the green destiny she's not able to fully defeat Jen Yu until at one point she has managed to get a broken sword against her neck even with fighting green destiny which is awesome she's incredible but then Li Mu Bai shows up and then Jen Yu runs away so she runs out 
He goes out after her. They climb up in the bamboo. They're like 60 foot in the air, swinging back and forth. This is, again, some of that incredible wire work. They are really up there. You can see their faces. It's so cool. And this is like... We were talking about this last week with Pirates and how in a good action movie, the fight scenes advance character relationships. It's not just like, this is a cool thing. And we get that in this movie. Like the fight scene between Limu Bai and Jen Yu here, where they're going through the bamboo and they wind up at the waterfall, is changing their relationship substantially. In part because of what they're saying, where he's like, I can help you. You are clearly adrift. I want to offer you support. And she's clearly feeling a pull there, but also isn't sure that Jade Fox was wrong at this point. Again, this felt very Star Wars to me. I was feeling Kylo Ren, but like that's kind of how she feels in this moment. And she right. winds up, Limu Bai is defeating her again because you don't beat Limu Bai. You really don't. She jumps off into the water after Green Destiny. Well, what happens, because it's so cool, is she's holding Green Destiny at him and says, I will be your student if you can take Green Destiny from me in three moves. He takes it in one. Yeah, because he's the best. He's Lee Mubai. And then she still refuses to be his teacher, and he says, you don't deserve it, and just throws it off a waterfall. Which is awesome. A great way to solve all of your problems. And she's like, all right, I'm going down... Off the waterfall after this, too. So she goes after the sword. And then cut to, we see her in Jade Fox's cave. She's rescued by Jade Fox. Because everyone in Gen Yu's life has a private cave. That is true. China is made of 10 square miles. Mostly caves. Mostly made of caves. So then everyone kind of just shows up in this cave. Yeah, because Limu Bai and Julian were hunting down Jade Fox anyway. Jade Fox, when we first see her there, is working on some poison darts, and then she leaves. Limu Bai and Shu Lian show up after that. Limu Bai first, and Limu Bai finds Gen Yu where she's being drugged and is like, yo, this is bad news. We're going to stop you getting drugged. And then at that point, that's when Jade Fox returns and is like, now's my chance to kill Limu Bai. And she's like firing poison darts, and it's awesome because he's swinging his sword like a lightsaber, deflecting all of these darts. And he manages to deflect all of them. And then he's fighting with Jade Fox and he's got her ready to die. And he stabs her and he's like, you're done, Jade Fox. No, the cool, it's so cool because he uses his sword to break her sword into a bunch of pieces that then reverse course and stab her. Yeah, it's dope. She's impaled with like 10 different sword shards. And Shulian is helping out because she's great. And again, there's like one drop of blood per each wound in Jade Fox's body. And Lima Bai's like, all right, you're donezo. And Jade Fox is like, I know, but you are too. Because one dart got Limu Bai, and soon his blood is going to reverse its flow, and he's going to die. See, the blood inside your body can kill you. Oh, no. Our entire premise is ruined. We need blood nowhere. That's the lesson of this movie. Down with blood. The... Horror sequels starring Renee Zellweger and Ewan McGregor. Which one of them is a vampire in Down With Blood? Mm. Oh, Sarah Paulson. Yep, that's the correct answer. We saw her in that, like, witch outfit when she first appeared. (laughs) We did indeed. That movie rules. We need to watch that again. Yeah. So. This is our fifth point. Did we say that? Yes. Okay. We're on point five. I don't know if we said that. Jade Fox is dead. Limu Bai's blood is reversing its flow. Genu is like, you know what? 
I kind of know how to make an antidote to this. So she runs off to the compound and it's like, we got to make this antidote. They're doing that. Meanwhile, Shulian and Limu Bai are alone in the cave. This is their alone in the cave moment. But because it's them, they're not going to get it on like Lo and Jen Yu did. Nope, they are just sitting in the cave, cross-legged, staring at each other. And he's like, I am dying. And then Shulian interrupts him and says, don't waste your last breath on me. Use it to meditate and reach nirvana. And he's like, actually, I would rather wander the earth as a lost soul condemned to suffer, but traveling ghost-like aside you. I would rather do that than go to heaven without you. And then he kisses her and then he dies. And it's so beautiful. It's great. It's so sad. And it's like, you know what, Shulian? Your best friend and love may be dead, but you do have a ghost partner all the time now. That feels like the premise for something. Shulian and ghost Li Wu Bai travel through 18th century China. That does actually sound exactly like something that would exist. It sounds better than the real sequel. They probably couldn't afford Chow Yun-Fat. Or maybe, I think he just didn't want to come back. Yeah. A lot of them were like, if Ang Lee is not doing this, I'm not doing this. I think that's the main thing. So anyway, they're dead. Well, <laughs> Li Wu Bai is dead. I was gutted. Because... It's a movie where they're making an antidote to the poison, so you assume he will live because someone is making an antidote, and you are wrong. Nope, Gen Yu gets back too late. And he is dead, and it's sad. Shulian is like, now is your chance. Finally, will you be good? And she says, fine, I will go to Wudan Mountain. And she goes there where Lo is, and... This is the end of point three. Yes, and Gen Yu is like, so, uh... Remember that story you told me about the dude who jumped off the mountain to make his wish come true? And Lo's like, yeah. And she's like, what's your wish? And he's like, I want to be with you. Like, that's why I went to this stupid mountain. That's why I tried to be a legitimate businessman and not a thief marauding through the Gobi. And she's like, cool. All right. So we're at the top of the mountain. I'm going to jump off this mountain. Yep. So the movie and then we'll be together. The, the movie, movie just ends. And she her. leaps off as this gorgeous score like hums up. And we see her soaring through the clouds, and that's the end of the movie. It's so cool. It's awesome. The music in this movie is great. The scene where they're chasing each other in the desert is basically Chinese music inspired by American Western music. It's terrific. I love it. So after watching the whole movie, do you find the romances between Limu Bai and Xu Lian and between Zhen Yu and Lo to be believable? Limu Bai and Yu Xu Lian, yes. Oh, yeah. It's so angsty, and I love it. I love it. The whole, like, crushing on someone that you're close to, but repressing it and refusing to do anything about it, that's my move. Because... I feel so seen. It's because of honor and duty that they can't be together, and it's so beautiful and so sad. It's great. What about Jen Yu and Lo? These Uh, horny teenagers. They are horny teenagers, so I think that makes it believable. Yep, checks out. All right. Where would you rate it on our scale? A high. I'd say pretty high. Not a 10 because genuine low are weirdos. Yeah. I'd go eight or nine. I could do a nine on this just because I love Limu Bai so much. Yeah. He's my dude. Do you think any of the people are dateable? I mean, it depends on how you feel with dating people who are intensely repressing their emotions. Um, I'm going to go with no. Maybe, maybe Shulian. Yeah, I love Shulian. She's great. She is also pushing Limu Bai further. It is. She's like, bro, what are we doing? Like, Serto yeah. was making fun of me the other day. Do you imagine how embarrassing that is? <laughs> this old man is like, yo, go make out, girl. So. All right, Shulian. Shulian, yes. yes. Everyone, Everyone else, else, no. <laughs> Maybe Lo. 
two horny teens, no. He's like a horny teenager, but he's a good dude. Is he? No, he's a murderer. He's killed so many people. Okay, never mind. He's killed so many people, everyone in China knows his face. They know his face in a pre-photography era. Yeah, it makes no sense. So, yeah, we are an anti-murder podcast, so I can't date Lo. Okay. If you did have to date one person in the movie, who would it be? I am going to say, I know I usually don't like to choose main characters, but it's probably Shulian because Michelle Yeoh is everything I want to be. Dope pick. I love it. Part of me wants to say the abacus guy, but I don't remember what he looks like. Just that he hit her with an abacus and I thought it was funny. Um, I'm going to say Serte. Yep. That was my He's a cool dude. choice. Yeah. I'm He's only doing a it. Nice rich man. I'm only doing it because you picked Shulian, who's my girl. Honestly, nice old rich man. Not going to live that much longer. Has a lot of money. Exactly. Maybe he would be the number one choice. It's very compelling. Do you think either couple would stay together? I think they're mostly dead. I think Limu Bai is definitely dead. I don't know what's going on with Gen Yu and Lo. We also do not see Lo jump. I don't think it would go well for him. I'm going to go with everyone's dead. It's so like the no. height of metaphor there. Yeah. Where, like, I think she probably flies up to heaven. Yeah, I don't think there's a way that anyone can stay together. Yeah. Oh, I think Shulian gets to hang out with Donnie Yen in the next movie. <laughs> he's cool. Also, great in Star Wars when he's in Rogue One. Oh, yeah. That's a good movie. So is this one. I think that does it, though. Yeah. Next week, we are doing another literary adaptation. This is based, oh, of course, is. on the book by Wang Dulu. This one is based on a book by Nick Hornby, who wrote Brooklyn. You know, the movie with uh, Saoirse Ronan? Yeah. Yeah, so he also wrote this book called Fever Pitch. Oh, God. And we're doing the 2005 American adaptation of it, starring Drew Barrymore and Jimmy Fallon. I've not been madder in a movie than I was when I watched this, as a taste of what will come next week. It's a bad film. It's going to be a fun episode, though. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I think it'll be very fun. We are going to be amusingly angry. Yes, for sure. Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at LoveTheLovePod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at LoveTheLovePod at gmail.com. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe. Last question, Mark. What is the best piece of dating advice you got from this movie? Learn to fly. That's all I'm going to say. I was going to say, have a sweet cave and sing outside it, and people will feel very comfortable there. Well, there you go. Until next time, I'm gay. And I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye-bye. Bye.